You may have seen Father James Martin on Stephen Colbert's talk show or listened to him on NPR talking about the way that faith shapes President Joe Biden's leadership. Well, now Father James talks to us about learning to pray. He's a Jesuit priest and the editor-at-large of America Magazine. He's also consultor to the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication and the author of numerous books. His latest book is Learning to Pray, a guide for everyone. In it, he provides a rich history of the different styles of prayer and offers the idea that there is no one way to do it and that everyone can derive something from it. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I talked to Father James Martin from his home in New York City about learning to pray. The title of your book is Learning to Pray, a Guide for Everyone. So can you explain to our listeners how this book can really be for everyone, not just Catholics um, and not just believers, but also non-believers? How is it that, as you explain in the first chapter of the book, everyone can pray? Well, everyone can pray because everyone is invited into a relationship with God, and that may sound a little you know, mysterious for people, but uh, I think most people who are believers um, would agree that, you know, God is connected to them and that God uh, wants to be in relationship to them. And if they look around in their lives, they can see moments where God has kind of reached down to uh, be with them or to encounter them. And the book talks more about, um, you know, one-on-one time with God. And I think one of the big misconceptions is that people think you have to be super holy to pray and most of the time people sit down and they try to pray and they don't feel like anything's happening. And so the book is focused on the kinds of things that can happen in prayer, as well as the types of different uh, prayers that you can use to uh, to encounter God. I think a lot of us still associate prayer with childhood when for some of us prayer seemed like school even, something we had to do. But I think there's an openness to prayer during that time in our lives because of that prescribed practice that we might not have at other times in our lives as adults. So what was prayer like for you in your childhood? And then how did you carry that imprint along? Well, I think it was like a lot of people's prayer. It was basically asking for things, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, petitionary prayer sometimes gets denigrated, but look, after all the the Lord's prayer um, includes the words, you know, give us this day and forgive us. I mean, you know, Jesus is inviting us to ask God for things. And so a lot of my prayer was, you know, give me this, give me that a little bit of bargaining. Um, and then I had a few experiences of, uh, you know, what I would call kind of mystical experiences, which doesn't make me out to be a saint or anything. I think most people have those experiences. The problem is that they're not encouraged to notice them or to talk about them. Uh, and so I think when people look back, um, they might be able to see in their childhood times when God was really close. I think kids are just more open to that because they're not burdened with a lot of the sort of shoulds about prayer and how prayer should be. And they're just more open. Uh, you know, not every child, of course, but a lot of kids. I enjoyed reading the definitions of prayer in your book because they open the way for thinking about it in new ways. Uh, a raising of the mind and heart to God, a surge of the heart, a sharing between friends, a conscious conversation. I'm teaching online these days, but in the before times when I graded my students' papers, these these pieces of paper that came to me from there, from them, I'd sometimes 
find one or two of them had written down a prayer on the back of the paper. Sometimes mm. they would just say something like, help me Jesus or help me mm. God. And that's when praying is this kind of asking for things like crossing your fingers or making a wish. It's it's not the same thing, but I still feel like it's something that is leading toward a kind of a prayerfulness. Oh, sure. Yeah. And again, um, petitionary prayers like that get, you know, kind of denigrated or people say, well, that's only the beginning of prayer. But it's an important part of being in relationship with God. And the analogy I use in the book, which is from another Jesuit priest named Bill Barry, is that prayer uh, can be compared to a relationship with a friend. And so, you know, the kinds of things that you can say about a good relationship, right, they take time, they require honesty, they need to be open to change you can say about a relationship with God and the same thing. Sometimes you need help from your friends, you know, and it's, it would be weird not to ask them. And, you know, so for example, during the pandemic, I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone who's a believer, not at some point asking God for some help for, you know, a cure for, you know, friends or loved ones who were sick or yourself who was sick. And that's fine. Uh, the, the book though says that prayer can be a lot more than that, right? It's not mm-hmm. simply asking for things and, it's in terms of the relationship, it's also paying attention to where God is, God is active in your daily life and in your prayer life. So it's also listening, which sounds crazy. It sounds like you're hearing voices or seeing visions, but you know, it's, it's paying attention to the kinds of things that happen in your, in your one-on-one prayer and in your daily life. That's the listening part. You write about how you return to the Hail Mary often. And I, I have found in my own life in particularly trying times, a uh, prayer that comes unbidden, spontaneously, uh, in my mind. Have those for whom you offer spiritual counsel ever shared anything like that with you, I imagine? So what what is going on there in terms of the idea of prayer that's sort of being received by the person who who is sort of spontaneously praying at that point? Oh, you mean uh, what? What are people's experiences of prayer? Is that what you're asking? Or? Yes. Have have do you? So, as a priest, do you hear that often from folks when when it just sort of comes spontaneously? One of these sort of, as you describe it, mystical things that we're maybe even not listening for, but that sort of comes just on its own. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, you know these these kinds of experiences where you're you know, let's say you're you're not as intentional about, you know, the prayer time and something happens that sort of seems to come from out of nowhere. It does happen to people. Uh, you know, St. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, called it, it's kind of complicated, but a consolation without prior cause, meaning it just sort of happens. And yeah, those are real gifts to people. I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but absolutely, you know, you can be, you know, looking at a sunset or just uh you know, here in the Northeast, you know, kind of walking outside and suddenly it's warm and you feel this great sense of hope or peace or calm. And you get a sense that it's coming from outside of you. And, you know, if someone says, I feel like that's coming from God, you know, why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't God use those kind of uh, external factors, right? External to you, nature, sunshine, warm weather to communicate something about how God is, about how, how God offers you calm or peace. So absolutely. Yeah, that, that happens, you know, frequently. How have you witnessed the the power of prayer, the collective power of prayer in the life of, say, someone in your parish, for example? Well, I, it, it, it is, again, about a relationship, 
And so the more a person commits himself or herself to a regular time of prayer, it doesn't have to be hours and hours, but, you know, maybe half an hour a day, the more that they're attentive to the kinds of things that happen in prayer. And by that, I mean, to, you know, kind of demystify it, insights, emotions, desires, feelings, memories. I talk about these in the book at length, mm -hmm. um, words and phrases that come up, um, you know, sort of imagining yourself in a, in a, in a scripture scene and something happens or praying with a particular Bible passage or imagining yourself with Jesus, the more that they can be aware of those kinds of things. And the more that they can be encouraged to see that this is one way that God has of communicating with people, the more that deepens their relationship with God. And the more they also, uh, at the same time, the more they can see God in their daily lives, right? They're kind of walking around lives, not just when they're sitting down or kneeling down and praying the more that strengthens their relationship and the more it can help them in difficult times. It, again, it's like any relationship, right? Not every time I always say to people, not every time you go out to a meal with your best friend or your spouse or your partner or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, is it going to be all bells and whistles, right? Like this tremendous experience. Sometimes it's pretty kind of, you know, it's like, okay, it's kind of flat. And that's the same with prayer, but the key is um, keeping at it and focusing on the relationship such that when there is a difficult time, like the pandemic, you feel more uh, connected to God because you've already had that relationship. I have felt during the pandemic that the prayer is all sort of more uh, ecumenical somehow that we're, you know, it's, it's all of this, we're all, to, we're all in this together and mm. it's not, it's not about any one faith or religion it's it, it really has i feel like it really has become something different for for myself and maybe for others mm. i was really moved by your chapter on the daily examine the chapter titled i am here and you describe it as an antidote can you talk a little bit about that yeah, sure. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, the daily examine is a really simple prayer um, that I, I find pretty much anyone can do. I think actually anyone can do it, not just pretty much. And it's a review of the day. And it's a way to look back to see where God was in your day, because oftentimes it's easier to look back uh, and see where God was than it is to see where God is or where God will be. And basically it's, it's five steps. You place yourself in the presence of God as we do in all prayers and, you know, just kind of call to mind that you're in God's presence. And then you start with gratitude and you call to mind things that you're grateful for in the past 24 hours. And it could be something simple. It could be, you know, a warm breeze or you had a great hamburger, or if you're a vegetarian, you had a great, you know, tofu <laughs> burger. Um, and you call them to mind, you uh, give God thanks for them and you sort of savor them. It's, it's a way of really, grounding ourselves in gratitude. And then the next step is you review the day, start to finish, and you try to see where you might have encountered God or where God might have encountered you. That leads to the third step, which is sort of being aware of your own failings or your sinfulness, you know, because none of us are perfect. And then you ask God for the grace to see, to see God in the next day. And what happens is it, it kind of forces us to notice because so many of us are kind of problem solvers. And if we're asked, you know, what was your day like? Oh my gosh, you know, this terrible thing happened or I did do this or that. And we often overlook the, the simple pleasures and the, the grace that God is offering us. And it really, the examine really helps to get your spiritual life in order pretty quickly. And people start to notice, you know, which is great. They, I, I, I did this to a, with a group of actors 
couple of years ago. And one of the guys said, uh, boy, I never knew my yesterday was so beautiful. <laughs> because we are surrounded by distractions and you mm -hmm. write about distractions that pull even the most devoutly prayerful person away from focus. Yes. Our world is full of them. You write about the seven Ds, uh, mm. darkness and dryness and desolation. I feel like it's just so difficult to escape the distractions that rule our lives. I teach at a Catholic university, and we often begin our meetings with a prayer for our work. But even in those moments, <laughs> even after all these years, meeting after meeting, it's so hard to center and hear the words without thinking about, you know, curricular matters or the agenda or like the sidewise look I got from my colleague or, you know, whatever, the mundane things. Um, mm -hmm. But it happens. And, and you talk uh, at length about this in your book. It's, it really is, I think, in 2021, uh, such a, a helpful thing to remember is that, yes, we're distracted and we have to be uh, mindful, beyond mindful, about ways to to return to that center. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm yeah, I thought I thought it was really important in the book to be very blunt about some of the challenges in prayer. And, you know, one of the biggest ones is people who feel distracted. And, uh, you know, there are some distractions that you can get rid of. So if, if you're thinking about what am I going to make for dinner tonight, you, you can kind of let that go. Uh, a friend of mine, Margaret Silf, uh, and I quote this in the book, says that, you know, praying with distractions is like driving. It's a great metaphor. There's lots of stuff going on beside you on the road, you know, no matter where you are, there's, there's all sorts of things going on, but you know, you, you sort of see them and you, you focus on the focus on the road ahead. So it's that kind of um, focus, but sometimes you just can't let go of the distractions. And then I like to invite people to pray one of my favorite prayers, which is God, I'm distracted and I'm still with you. And again, to use the model of the relationship, if, if you went out with a good friend of yours and you said, I'm super distracted because I'm going to have some, oh, I don't know, medical test tomorrow, I have a big exam going on, or I have a meeting with my boss, your friend would inevitably say if she or he was a good friend, oh, that's okay. I'm just happy you're here. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if our friends can say that, right, how much more can God say that to us? I mean, if our friends can be tolerant and patient and with us accompanying us even in our distractions you know god can obviously do that right and so i think we can do a number on ourselves i mean so many people who feel guilty oh my gosh i'm distracted well you do your best to to let go of the distractions but if you can't you know it's like some terrible back pain or something then you say to god look i'm distracted and i'm i'm still with you you know we had that terrible weather event here in texas in february mm -hmm snowed and we had sub-freezing mm -hmm. temperatures for an extended period of time. People were without power and without water and some are still dealing with these after effects. It was, it was a really traumatic time for a lot of people. Many people died and all of this in the midst of the pandemic. So I've tried to recover my sense of wonder in the idea of snow and the changing of the seasons your chapter on discovering God in creation can be, I think, if not instructive, certainly just a way to think about finding a way back in for anyone who just doesn't see God in some places, but can more readily see God in the vast idea of creation. As you say in your book, there are epiphanies there. 
I think that's right. And I, I mean, I first want to express sympathy to people who suffered through that. It was traumatic, I'm sure. And I was reading about it. And on top of the pandemic, it just seemed unbelievable. One of the first things to remember about those kinds of experiences is that God wants your honesty too, right? So any good relationship includes being honest. I mean, some people might think of snow now in Texas and just be angry, right? And so it's okay. But um, yeah, I think your your question about finding God in in nature is really important because I think that in nature we we encounter in a sense God's creation directly, right? If you see a, a painting or a beautiful work of art or you hear a hymn, you know, it's it's created obviously through God's inspiration, but I mean, nature is just, you know, created by God directly. And I think people were hardwired to relax a bit and to um, just sort of center a little bit more. And I think it's a really important way to encounter God. Now that doesn't go for everyone. I know some of my friends in New York don't like nature. <laughs> They'd rather be inside. But for some people, including myself, it's a, it's a real avenue to God. I want to ask you about moving from prayer to action, because you write about mm-hmm. this in the book. But I'm sure you've witnessed your share of trials over your life, and we know that every generation goes through overwhelming stressors, dramatic events, disasters. For us lately here in 2020, 2021 in the United States, there's been something about this convergence of the pandemic and all of its related issues, the Black Lives Matter protests of last summer, the impeachment, both of them, the insurrection at the Capitol, the weather events, the shootings, the massacres, the hate crimes, so much. What what do you say to folks who point to all this and say, can prayer fix this? Can prayer do anything about this? To those whose faith might already be so vulnerable after a lifetime of, of sorrows, how can prayer mm. bring us back to a kind of faith that might even influence others around us? Well, again, it's, it's important to take people where they are. Uh, and so one of the things I wouldn't say, and I know you're not suggesting is, oh, well, if you just pray, you'll feel better or you'll get over it or God will fix things because there is something called the mystery of suffering. And, you know, why do natural disasters happen? There's no, and I talk about this in the book, you know, unanswered prayers um, in that chapter there, some, there's no satisfactory answer for that. Why do bad things happen? There are perspectives and the Christian believes that Christ is with us in those things. But part of it is encouraging people to be honest in prayer about what they're feeling and what they're experiencing and trusting that God can be with them through all of that. And again, it's to, it's to encourage people to be honest, even if you have to ask for things, right? I, I mean, I, I've been asking for, as along with everybody else, you know, a cure for the COVID virus for the last year. And it took a while. Um, but other people ask for things that don't seem to, to happen or to come true. And I think it's really important to address that. And I do in the book really bluntly. I mean, if you pray for your husband or wife to recover from cancer and they don't recover, that prayer was not answered in the way that you wanted it to be. Now, you might have been getting other graces as a result. You might be getting strength or wisdom or a sense of peace or acceptance. But it's important to say that that prayer was not answered as you wanted it to be. And the the invitation is to still be in a relationship with a God um, whom you may not understand. 
right? And I, I think that's part of that's part of being in a relationship. Being in a relationship with anyone is a kind of mystery. Being in a relationship with God is the biggest mystery, right? But it's still it's still a mystery we're called into. So your book, Learning to Pray, I think it comes with impeccable timing for a lot of us who maybe need to find a way back in. And it comes uh, quite providentially, as things do. And But I want to ask you about the idea of this book out in this world in 2021. It seems on its own like a prayer of a kind. What is the, the one central thing that maybe, above all other things, was driving the writing of this book for you? Oh, what a great question. Um, the knowledge that so many people sit down, try to pray with the best intentions, and really feel like nothing is happening. And then they, they give up. And they say, prayer is not, I don't know what's supposed to happen. Prayer is not for me. I'm not holy enough. I'm not built for it. They hear other people talking about their prayer. Oh, my prayer is so rewarding. And they say, what are you talking about? And so what I wanted to do is demystify that in a sense and say, here's what happens and here's what you can expect. And here's different ways to pray. And this is literally what happens when you close your eyes. And that means that everyone can do it because God really desires a relationship with everybody. And one of the ways we know that is we have a desire within us for God. And where does that come from? Well, that comes from God. Because how else would God draw us closer than, um, you know, putting in us or planting within us that desire for God? Uh, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And there's a little of that um, in that insight. And so, yeah, what I want people to take away is that God desires a relationship with you. You can experience that by the desire you feel. You can pray and you'll meet God there. You know, not, it won't every single time you sit down to pray, it's not going to feel like that, but over time you will experience God's presence in prayer. And that's, 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 I think that's a surprise for most people. Father James Martin, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. The Reverend James Martin is the author of Learning to Pray, a guide for everyone. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.